The views expressed on this show by guests and the hosts on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. My name is Craig McKee, and I'm your host for this show only. Uh, if you're wondering what happened to Andy Steele, our regular host, he's not sick, and there hasn't been a coup or anything like that. He's actually right here with us, and he's actually going to be the guest on tonight's show. And the reason for that is because Andy has written a terrific graphic novel called Born on 9-11. And so we're going to be finding out from him all about that on this show. So uh, welcome to uh, 911 Freefall, Andy. Thank you, Craig. Welcome to your own show. Yeah. Thank you for filling in because it's way more psychologically satisfying to talk to somebody than to talk to an empty room. I've tried that so many times and uh, I don't know. I just I just don't feel it when I'm doing there. I got to have somebody and I thought the best person to fill in on this today is you. So thank you for stepping up. Well, thank you. I, I a lot of people have told me that I'm better than an empty room. So to for to talk to. So that's that's always nice to hear from people. Um, now, this is a graphic novel that you have created. And before we get into the details about about what you've done, I wondered if you could just give us kind of a an overview of your background in in doing this kind of thing. Like, how long have you been doing graphic novels or comics or whatever? And maybe you could take us through the history of that. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, comics in general, ever since I was a little kid, probably when I was supposed to be paying attention in class, I'd just be doodling little pictures on my notebook. I never really got in trouble for it, but uh, that would be how I spent the time. Somehow the information still got in there, but there'd be some pretty cool pictures of some exciting stuff going on uh, right next to my math notes and things like that. So ever since I was a kid, I always liked this stuff. And I always liked to look at pictures and see illustrations more than even just the written word because then it's just more exciting to me, you know? And uh, I think I actually learned how to read by reading my brother's comic books, sneaking into his room and going through this uh, this old box that used to hold apples he kept his comic books in i'd go through them so i've always liked this kind of medium and uh i did some cartooning in college took one art class there most of my stuff i just uh, taught myself and about in 2017 2016 i kind of picked it up again picked up some new methodologies and stuff just sort of as a stress relief and uh, my mom was really encouraging me to do that she's like you gotta do something other than 9-11 you know you gotta yeah, I used to like to draw and you know write and all of this, and uh, I said, okay, I'll do that. And then I turned it into a, a 9-11 thing, so. but I think for, with good result in the end. So that is pretty much the history of it. I had a little comic strip I used to print up back in college, and then I had a cartoon where I would do it along with the editor's editorial for the week. Uh, but that was pretty much the extent of my past experience. Did you have 
sort of ambitions that you were going to want to do this professionally or that you would end up doing at some point like a full-length graphic novel? Uh, I don't, you know, when I was 13, I, w- I used to think it'd be cool to work at Marvel or DC or something like that, but then kind of real life sets in, and you're like, well, that'd be really hard to do and get people talking in your ear and saying, oh, you got to try to pursue something that's real, uh, that that's possible, that's obtainable. So I kind of let that go, and then when I started doing this again, it was mainly for fun, just little cartoons uh, with people I know, and that's actually how my comic in college got started, is just kind of making fun of people I know, and they, we all had a good laugh about it, but it became like this weekly thing, and it just uh, used to distribute it around the campus. Uh, so, no, I didn't really take it that seriously when I got going again as an adult, but I realized, hey, this is looking pretty cool, and I started in on another story that I was just going to work on in my free time. But then it occurred to me I had this idea for... I've always thought that 9-11 Truth needed sort of its own story, even if it's fictional, where you can incorporate the evidence and some of the real tragedy involved in this event along with, you know, some of the stories and stuff. But we needed sort of our our JFK. I remember that when I was a kid. My mom made me watch it because she never believed the official story on JFK. And uh, it had an impact on me back then. It had an impact on a lot of people. got a lot of attention. I don't have the resources to go make a big-budget film like Oliver Stone, but this is something that I could do. I could do it uh, with very little expense in the sense that I could just kind of... I didn't really have to hire anybody. I could just do it myself if I took my time on it. And so this is what I did for a number of years, kind of under the radar at nighttime before bed, just put a couple of hours in and, you know, work on this. And uh, after I'd written the script, I really liked the story. And I'd run it by our, our boss, Kelly David. She liked the story, and she was very encouraging and continuing to do it. And uh, I think, again, you know, I think it came to a, a very good result at the end. But this took a long time because I was, you know, I have a regular job during the day, so I just assign time at night. And uh, at night, you get kind of tired. So, <laughs> you know, one night might be better than the other one. But eventually, it got finished. Well, when you, I mean, when you started out doing this uh, on this particular project, did you kind of know what you wanted it to become? Because uh, I think I think I heard you tell me one time that it was about, you've been you've been on this for about four years. So I'm just kind of wondering if you go back four years, was this something that you did you envisage? I guess what ended up you know being done, or did you have some other idea about it uh, at the beginning? what it might become the end result that we got was what i imagined and i worked uh, very hard to make sure that everybody that is in the story looked exactly as they looked like in my imagination and there were some characters it was a little hard to do until i figured it out there'd be some scenes that would just be done in an hour or so and it would be perfect the first time other ones i had to uh, kind of go back to the drawing board but like eh, it doesn't really portray it the way that i wanted to so, yeah, but when I first started, I actually proposed the idea to Ted, our director of strategy, Ted Walter, and I told him the general idea. I said, is this something the AE would want to uh, be involved with if I actually got this accomplished? And uh, he liked the the general idea of it. So there was one night, I started uh, about 10 o'clock at night, and you know, I always write a script first when I do these things. Of course, this was going to be a really long script. I didn't imagine it being as long as it was going to be. I originally just thought it was going to be four chapters. And then it ended up just getting longer and longer, the story. But I remember the, when I first started this, and I sort of 
had the okay from Ted saying, yeah, this would be something we'd be interested in if it was done right. I, I cranked out the first chapter of the script in one night. I didn't go to bed. <laughs> and I kind of submitted that and was like, yeah, well, this got a little bit long, but uh, this would be kind of what the characters would be. And they said, just keep doing it. And when I was done, I remember uh, Susan on our staff read the, the script. Kelly David did. And uh, they really liked it. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and start doing the art now. And... That's just what I did. You know, it's strange, though. When you when you do something like this, you write a script, and then in the script you're like, eh, you know, this doesn't really work out on the page, or you might do a rewrite, or, you know, you might change a certain plot development or something. So even the original script is different from what the final product was because I make a lot of changes as I'm going through. So yeah, I've done, you know, I've done these comics before. I've never actually submitted them to anyone, but just like little ones. Nothing this big though. Uh, cuz you asked me that before. But in the end, after I'd had the script and I realized that this would be the story, pretty much the way it looked is exactly what I had intended from the beginning. So when you write a script for a graphic novel, what what form does that take? I mean, is it is it similar to like what you might write for a mo- for a movie, or do you just write it in kind of point form, or just like an outline, or how, how do you how do you create a script for a graphic novel? You know, I there might be some official way to do it. I don't know. I just did it my way. I'll just write pick and then write a picture description, which is really just a note to myself that I may or may not follow when I actually get to doing it. Um, but then the rest of it's just like writing a regular play script. You know, you put their the character's name and a colon and then what they say. So when I had sent it to Susan to do the first sort of edit looking for all of my punctuation mistakes and, uh, and grammar and whatnot, <clears throat> you know, I said, don't pay attention to the picture descriptions. That's probably going to change as I go along. Just look at the actual dialogue and make sure I, that I didn't miss any commas. or So that's the way it is. Look, I, I'm the kind of guy that look at the recipe box or the, the recipe on the box as sort of like a general suggestion. But if I think something can work better, I just kind of go with that or I go uh, uh, you know, off of instinct. You know, stick it in the microwave for three minutes. That'll probably do it. If, if it's overcooking, I'll turn it off and be like, okay, that's enough. And I may not even glance at the recipe box. And I think people need to go about many things that way because we have so many people out there in our world who are trying to control the arts, trying to control how everybody thinks and how everybody does things. I mean, it's smart to learn from wise elders and better yourself and better your own talents, but also you got to listen to yourself and follow your own path in this life. So that's how I do it. I don't know. There might be some official way, but I got my own way and it works for me. Right, right. Well, I I mean, I've read your your graphic novel, so I know the story. But rather than ask you que- any questions about the story, the specifics of the story, and risk maybe uh, maybe letting something out that I shouldn't, why don't you give us kind of uh, what an idea of what the premise of the story is? And you can obviously go as far as you think you should go um, in in giving us an idea of what you know what the story is. Right. Well. Okay, so the the main character is a uh, person named Kevin Langdon. He's 18 years old. He was born on the exact same day that his father died at the World Trade Center on September 11th. So he's born on 9-11, hence the title. Uh, so just right, almost exactly at the same moment, he's coming into this world. His father is leaving it. His father dies in the North Tower in the very beginning. And uh, that is the prologue of the story. And 
And from there, he's uh, 18 years old. He's waking up to a lot of the evidence that's put out by AE911 Truth. And as this audience will know, um, that can really change your life as you go forward. It changes your worldview. And there's some things that happen in this story that prompt him to go out and speak out more about this kind of slowly. He's kind of a shy kid in the beginning. And, you know, he's got some pressures on him because they created a foundation in his father's name because his father had run back into the tower and, and to save more lives and was remembered as a 9-11 hero in this fictional world. And he's one of the spokesmen for it, so there's that writing on him and his name associated with it. So there's some dangers. And as he speaks out more, we start to see more of the consequences. I mean, if you think about his role in all of this, his story... Being a 9-11 family member and speaking out, it does carry this risk because his name and his credibility, uh, having lost his father on that day and just the story behind him, gets attention. And so, of course, it's going to bring more heat. As we all know, uh, Craig, here in the 9-11 Truth movement, as we speak out more and really you know, dig in and take a stance, a lot of the bad forces come out and try to uh, interfere with our actions. And I really just wanted to use this as an opportunity to give the 9-11 Truth Movement its own Rocky character. I think we all need that. I mean, whether people admit it or not, entertainment is a big part of our lives. I think Stan Lee said that. He used to feel bad because he wrote comic books. But then he realized that entertainment plays such an important part in people's lives. I mean, you have a bad day, you might want to just veg out and watch a movie or read a book. That it was really important what he was doing. But also, too, it's inspiring. You know, sometimes people need to see things played out in a fictional setting, find the courage themselves to be able to take the same steps. I mean, even science is influenced by science fiction. I mean, long before we were sending rockets up into space, Jules Verne was writing about going to the moon in a, you know, in a rocket uh, like 100 years before that. <clears throat> so a lot of times the ideas for things come right from fiction. But I think the 9-11 Truth movement needs this. I mean, we take a lot of hits as we go forward, and it's hard to keep yourself in the game for some people. And why do you keep doing this, people ask themselves. And I don't know, I just, I just thought that we needed some kind of story to inspire. So I think it's worth a read, and uh, people should check it out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I can say that I, I related to a lot of what uh, your your main character went through. Obviously, it's... Because, as you say, it's fiction, so it's a it's a bigger story than most individual 9-11 truthers maybe have gone through themselves. But I certainly related to much of it. Um, you know, Kevin, your main character, it, you know, it, not only does he deal with condemnation from the media, but he he deals with condemnation from people he knows at school, from his teachers. And, and, and that's something that certainly... I sure virtually every single 9/11 truther can relate to that. Can relate to the fact that in order to t- kind of take the stand that we do, that we're going to alienate some people that you know otherwise you know wouldn't be alienated from us. So yeah, maybe you can sort of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, something that I tried to capture, especially in one scene, is that awkward look that people give you when they they come to find out that not only are you believing this or, or agreeing with evidence such as that put up by E911 Truth, but when you actually start openly saying it and not caring anymore, 
I mean, a lot of people in this audience may be able to identify with that. Like something has changed in their perception of you. So I tried to capture that in some of the images. But yeah, I mean, we've all experienced that. Look, I can remember being out on a blind date my cousin had set me up with. When I first, I mean, I, would, I, I didn't just wake up to 9-11 in one day and say, hey, 9-11 was an inside job, I'm going to go out and become an activist for this. I, I did not want to believe this. I did not want to be one of these people who talks about these kinds of things. But I couldn't get it out of my head. And I remember being out on this date, and it was uh, there was a celebrity that had questioned 9-11, and the media was going after this person. And I was like, that's kind of unfair. I mean, all he did was just kind of raise some reasonable questions, and they're just, you know, dragging this guy over the coals. And this girl's like, you, you sound like, you're starting to scare me. You sound like a conspiracy theorist. So right then in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is done. <laughs> I didn't get up and leave or anything. I, mean, I was polite, but I just thought, okay, like, you know, the fact that you would say something like that it just proves that uh, you're not the person for me here. But, uh, but that was just a, a small spark of what I would see on a bigger scale as I went forward in the 9-11 truth movement. I mean, you would see the media just be downright hostile to anybody asking these very reasonable questions and just outright lying about them and misrepresenting them. Um, so it was sort of an odyssey for me. I mean, to the point where I would see people showing up at rallies that were obviously not really truthers, trying to make us look crazy and all this, and saying that the planes were holograms, and all, you know, things that were just completely out of left field, and, you know, not based in any kind of fact or common sense, but, like, one of them actually admitted to me that that's what they were there to do. They were proud of it. And I was like, wow, this is, this is for real. You know, you combine that with the evidence that Richard talks about, and all the other experts at AE 911 Truth, I was like, wow, this is, like, what really happened here. And there really is an effort to try to squelch this. So I try to capture that in this story, give a sort of a similar journey that a lot of us have experienced, you know, and I want people to find hope in this. And I also want to stress this idea that, you know, people are waiting for some kind of big moment, like everyone's just going to show up at the White House one day and, you know, so surround the White House and they're going to come out and admit 9-11 was orchestrated by you know, elements within our own government or something like that, or the buildings were brought down in controlled demolitions, or that some person in the media is going to come out and expose this, and there's going to be hearings overnight. And that's not how things work in the real world. And sometimes the victories that you have, you don't even know that you're having. I mean, you know, I think I've done my share of stuff for here for AE 9-11 Truth, but you know how I woke up is because somebody put a video on some cartoon website that I was on one night, you know, completely looking at different things, looking for completely different subject matter, and they put this in there, and my first thought was, well, this isn't funny, but it caught my attention. So, like, that person woke me up, you know, but they have no clue, probably, that they're the person who woke me up. So you have no idea out there what your efforts are bringing forth when you do your actions. So, like, you could be responsible for something great and not even know it, but you got to have faith in that idea and just keep on doing what you're doing regardless of the response that you're getting or regardless of, you know, any condemnation or anything like that. And at the end of the day, at the end of your life, it's not going to matter what any of those people said. you just got to keep on pressing forward and believe in what you're doing. You know, we're born alone and we die alone in this world. And all that matters is what you think and what you think about your actions throughout your life. And victory can come 
in ways that you don't even expect. I've seen it so many times. I've seen things happen just out of out of nowhere. You know, good news. And I have I have this firm belief. I'm not getting too spiritual about it. But if you try to do your best in this world, and you keep trying, you keep struggling, you go through some trials or whatnot. Every once in a while, the wind blows in a certain direction, and you know you don't expect it, but magic happens—not in the literal sense, but something will just uh, go your way or go the way of the movement, and something good will happen. We did this with C-SPAN. You know, when I started that, I didn't think we were going to have Richard Gage on the program and have him be the number one interview in the, in the entire Washington Journal history. It used to be a joke. Well, maybe they'll put Richard on. Ha ha ha. You know, but then it ended up happening because it just it kept on pulling a thread, and that's the way you got to look at it. Sometimes you just you know you see a, a thread coming out of a curtain, you just keep pulling on it and pulling on it and pulling on it, and you might unravel the entire curtain. So you know, you just got to have faith that what you're doing is the right thing, and regardless of what anyone says, uh, it doesn't matter if they're debunkers or other truthers or just regular people out in the world regardless you just got to have confidence in your own decisions and your own actions and keep moving forward and that's what i want to try to portray in this book so i hope people get that feeling from it i think that's a really important point that you've made and it's one that i you know it's easy to forget about and i think i often forget about it you know you kind of have this idea that you know the breakthrough that we're looking for or you know just sort of broad awareness raising awareness in a broad sense that you can it's easy to feel like you're not getting anywhere because you look around and the world looks kind of similar to what it did when you when you started you haven't really changed anything but the point you make about you can have an effect without realizing it i mean i found that in my own path i guess that i've taken where some you'll find out that somebody you know read something that you wrote five years ago and they were affected by it and you had no idea and that person maybe then began their their whole journey of becoming more aware and 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 you had no idea that you were having that effect so i think that's an important i think you really made an important point that we all need to think about because it's easy to get discouraged you know it's easy to kind of think well what who's listening to me but as you said you never know who's listening Exactly. You know what I call that? When you listen to somebody from years ago, I call it time traveling. Of course, I don't mean in a literal sense. But, uh, you know, there's been things. And, of course, I don't just research 9-11. I mean, personally, I get interested in a lot of stuff. And some of it I find, you know, I think is complete bunk. And other things I think are interesting and probably true. But I'll listen to people who made recordings back in the 70s on one of those old tape recorders with the spinning wheels. And then somebody got their hands on it and put it on YouTube or whatever source and I'll listen to it and it almost just feels like there's a connection through time you know there was some movie that was years ago where a guy and a woman are exchanging love letters through a mailbox they're from two different eras of history and there's some magic that happens that uh, allows them to do this because it's a movie but you get that sense when you read from somebody who at that moment that you're listening to them were living that moment I don't know how best to describe this. I used to say this when I used to substitute history classes. I used to love history. Is that, like, you got to get in your mind that people actually had to experience this. John F. Kennedy, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, was the guy with his finger on the button who could uh, have caused the entire world to blow up. And, like, he was actually just a human being who was, like, put in this tremendous position of responsibility and in the middle of this crisis. And, uh, you know, just try to identify with that for a moment. What would you do? 
You know, you got advisors telling you different things, and you got to come to some kind of decision. And you know, when you're listening to somebody from long ago, they have no idea how things were going to play out. We have no idea here in 2021 how things are going to play out. We could try to influence them, but we don't know what the world's going to be like in 2026. We don't know if by then maybe there'll be a full acknowledgement that the towers were brought down in controlled demolitions. So somebody looking back in the future hearing this will be like, well, of course it was, you know, that's all part of history. But we don't know that at this moment. So I call it time traveling. And uh, that's why it's great to listen to your elders because there's different perspectives, different points of view. I mean, I, it drives me nuts when I watch movies and they, they portray people from 100 years ago sort of acting like the people of today do because mindsets were way different and the way people spoke and interacted with each other was way different. I love it when they do get it accurate or, or, or get it pretty close to accurate or put some research into it. But no, it's, it's really important to listen to people from the past and listen to 9-11 Freefall from 2013 or something like that because you might pick up some information and... Uh, you know, that's useful to you, and you can also bond with this person who has no idea who you are, but for your, you're sharing that moment as you listen to them. Absolutely. Um, we're, we're almost out of time here, but I did want to mention that you you got a, a pretty amazing endorsement from somebody that people have probably heard of. Uh, do you want to tell us what that was? Yeah, Rosie O'Donnell gave a very glowing endorsement of, of the book, and I appreciate that. I sent an email to her through... Uh, some channels here, thanking her for that. We've also gotten a, a endorsement from uh, Grandma Queen, uh, Kamalo Bade, Michelle Little, who lost her brother on September 11th, and I, I appreciate that. And, you know, honestly, the most important thing for me in this is I want to inspire the truth movement. I want it to have something to look to and try to emulate as best as possible. You know, there's some elements in the, in the story and the characters that you don't want to emulate. You certainly don't want to, you know, smoke or drink or anything like that. But here's my thing. Like, I don't believe in being gratuitous, but I also believe in being real. If it's called for, if it's part of life, you go with it. So, you know, look for the good parts in everybody and try to, try to mimic them if you can. And just believe in yourself. You know, that's the most important thing in this world. I know that sounds cliche, and that's something that they beat into you in a very phony way when you're a kid. You know, but what that really means is, you know, as you get older, people stop trying to inspire you as much. You know, you're not cute anymore. <laughs> and uh, you kind of find that you're on your own more and more. But if you just have faith in your own actions, you know, throughout the rest of your life, and move forward and deal with the setbacks and whatnot then um, you know, you're going to accomplish more in this world. And uh, I think that we have to for 9-11 Truth. So I hope I sold the book okay enough. You can get it at the AE 9-11 Truth store, and uh, I hope everybody enjoys it. Well, thanks a lot, Andy, for, for uh, sharing it with us. So I think it's a fantastic uh, effort on your part. I'm, I'm blown away not only by the story, but, but just the way you were able to weave so many aspects of 9-11 into the story. Uh, it wasn't. It's not just kind of a one-dimensional thing. You really, you know, you really bring a, in a lot of different elements to to make this a really quite a rich story with with some terrific characters. Anyway, thanks a lot for letting me uh, come on and uh, interview you for this for this uh, program. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. This is Andy Steele. Have a great week. 
Goodbye.